Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the Speak Up podcast. I'm Bethany Wilson. I work in private practice in Western Australia and I'm pleased to be speaking with Mark Elsing who is joining us to provide a consumer perspective on engaging speech pathology services following a stroke. Mark is a stroke survivor, disability advocate and public speaker. So welcome Mark, it's great to have you. Thank you, Bethany. Perhaps we can start with, um, are you able to tell us a little bit about what your life was like before your stroke, what type of stroke you had, and what the impact of that was for you, both physically and, and cognitively? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I was a family man. Um, I had quite a high-profile job. I was the state manager of a large corporate company. Um, I spent most of my days in the ballroom, around the ballroom table, talking. So for me, speech is quite a big thing. Um, in addition to that, um, I had quite a busy social life and did a lot of volunteering in organisations across the board that help people funny enough with disabilities. Um, but on that fateful day, on Father's Day, 2014, I had a brain stem hemorrhage, um, which totally changed my life. Um, I pretty much lost everything, my career, my job, most of my family, and in addition to that, I lost all my, most of my mobility. Mm. My speech was highly affected. My vision, my hearing, and so on. So you could say that the majority of things that we normally take for granted were compromised. Mm. Okay. And what were you told, Mark, that your prognosis was after your stroke? Um, I was told 
I would more likely never be able to talk again, eat again, talk again or walk again. You've certainly proved everyone wrong, Mark, and now you are speaking and you are eating and you're also walking, which is quite amazing. And Mark is now walking um, uh, independently and even upstairs, so that's been a huge achievement for him. I'm going to share with you something. Last year, in June, I could only stand and balance for 12 seconds. On Monday, in the gym, I stood and balanced on my own for 7 minutes and 20 seconds, and that's within a year. Now, I've only been able to talk properly for one year. So if you do the math and you put a timeline on all the achievements and the ability to talk, um, they probably match and that should tell you what, how important it is for me. That it's been, I think, is it seven or eight years since your stroke, Mark? So, yes. Yeah, so ordinarily we tend to think of most recovery and um, uh, and gains in terms of mobility and speech occurring within the first couple of years. And so yes. perhaps um, it's, I think, an important lesson for us as therapists to um, – not close our minds to the idea that um, our clients will continue to make gains further down the track, particularly when they may be ready, like you were, um, perhaps mentally and, you know, psychologically to start to push yourself in a way that perhaps you weren't earlier on in the picture um, when you were struggling with mental health and, and, such. I agree. So, yeah, I think that's a great lesson for us too. Um, I was under the impression that neuroplasticity only took place up to a couple of years post a brain injury. But um, if anything, um, on Monday this week, are determined that it is still highly active. Slow, but there's a definite progression and there is a definite uh, something is happening. And I would like to think that neuroplasticity is still taking place. Mm, yes, yes, I know it's sad, it is. And you've been diagnosed with um, dysarthria. What does that term mean to you? Well, dysarthria is, I guess, a medical term. To me, though, it means understandability, whether or not, whether or not people would understand me and in saying that a lot of people have over the years not understood me so understandability 
and clarity is more than anything what it means to me. Mm. Okay. So it's a big part of um, what's, uh, I guess, important for you and your ability to communicate. But does it sort of um, form a part of your identity these days? It does. It mm. does. Being able to communicate and people that know me know that I have difficulty talking or getting my message across. But as time has gone by, there's been a vast improvement. And I would like to say that it's become a little bit easier. Mm, certainly. And some of your goals, um, if I'm allowed to share those, um, have included things like being able to speak on the phone um, and being able to uh, do talks like this um, where you're um, speaking to the public and, um, you know, these sorts of speaking engagements. So you've certainly overcome uh, those that barrier of dysarthria. Would you agree with exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. I wholeheartedly, I think that my level of confidence hits an all-time low and mm. not being able to communicate because I had a lot of messages and basically I wanted to share them and being unable to share them impede on my level of confidence. Mm -hmm. So in recent times, I've been interviewed by the CTOC director, um, and yesterday I had an interview with Ross with the care group um, because I'm uh, challenging myself she set a new world record in December. So not that I'm blowing my own trumpet or anything, but there has been a lot of media um, set up to discuss these goals, which granted are quite unprecedented in terms of setting goals and achieving them. And one of them is to travel with one hand in a wheelchair for six to five classes to raise money for Huntington's disease. But part of that is the media hub that is built around the goals, goals that I want to set. Mm. Yes, you've certainly been very active in the um, the um, fundraising and um, awareness raising space. Um, so we're very grateful. And um, I know those organisations that have you on board are very grateful for that. Um, so, Mark, just moving on from that a little bit, um, as speech pathologists, we often refer to um, the term person-centred practice. 
um, which means placing the person or the patient or the client and their specific goals at the centre of our focus and working on things that are important to them rather than what we think should be important. So you've received therapy as a, um, in multiple settings, as an inpatient in hospital, at a rehabilitation facility and in the wider community. What has your experience been of person-centred practice and is that what you have experienced? Indeed, I have. It's been very much person-centric um, across the board, like you say, from hospital to the broader community. But in saying that, the goals, the goals that have been set have been in my interest, but I needed to break them down into smaller bite-sized pieces. Not that I'm a slow learner, but because basically things happened for me a lot slower, and that is across the board. Um, so by breaking them down into smaller pieces, I've been able to gauge with measurable success the progression from being unable to communicate via text or voice to being able to communicate that people understand me a lot easier. Mm. So what you're saying is that um, you've needed therapists to help you to make those goals realistic at each stage of that process and achievable for you. Correct, mm. 100%. Mm. And I know you've said to me in the past, Mark, that um, we, um, or as the therapist, I know what is possible for you from my assessments. Um, and uh, we've talked about how it's sometimes difficult to find that sweet spot between what is realistic and what is achievable for different people. We don't always know what is possible and achievable for each client because there are lots of both internal and external factors that affect that. Um, so sometimes um, our professional role can sort of cross into that or over that boundary into sort of a counselling or a counselling role and a little bit of psychology and that can be um, tricky and sometimes uncomfortable for us. Um, but what would you say about... Um, how therapists can, I guess, work with people and um, motivate and sort of access those internal strengths that that clients have as part of our role. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I guess, to be honest with you, um, each person or patient is going to be different. And in saying that, 
motivating people is really hard. Um, I've experienced a number of people who are, are highly demotivated and um, yes, it's going to be difficult. Mm. But in saying that, I think in my case, because I took no for an answer, I persevered and you get the in the end. I don't lie to you. It has been quite hard and long, and it has been a long journey, but it has been so worth it because to me, communication is more important. Bearing in mind, in my case, it might be different to other people, but being able to communicate is more important to me than being able to walk. So that gives you an idea of how important it is to me. And that has been one of the motivating factors to be able to be understood in this type of setting. Hmm. Yes, and you've uh, certainly got a, um, a a motto or a slogan of never ever give up. Exactly. Um, I learned yesterday that the, the world record is actually called Mark's mission, and they say Mark doesn't understand the word impossible. And I was thinking about it last night. I don't, I don't see the word impossible as the word impossible. I think everything is possible if you apply yourself. Mm. Yes. Okay. And you've definitely got the work ethic to um, to back that up. Um, so uh, I know that. So you've mentioned the world record, and I know that you've been heavily involved in uh, your gym and and looking at um, distances and world records. Um, maybe you can just let us know which um, world record you have already broken. And then also, if you're able to talk on some of the tips and tools that your trainer uses to motivate you. Sure. Well, firstly, the world record I broke was on the 3rd of December, which is ironic that it's an international day of people with disabilities so I traveled in my wheelchair with one arm power, powering my wheelchair. It's a manual wheelchair. I did 11.3 kilometers. And then this year, I want to beat my own record by traveling 65 kilometers 
so the record is for the longest distance in a wheelchair with one arm. So that is my goal on the 3rd of December. And in terms of training, yes, I train up to five hours per day. And my trainer is the legendary rugby player, Matt, Matt Fuller. And one of his motivations, which ironically we haven't touched on, but being able to talk again has helped me with my mental health as well. And that is another subject, I guess. But in terms of motivation, my trainer understands me. Um, he pushes me. And he, when I say he understands me, both in speech and my abilities, he knows that there isn't anything in the gym I can't do, I can't use. And he knows that if there's a challenge, I'm, I'm the man. I'm up for the challenge. So when it comes to getting into a machine, for example, at the gym, um, he wants to help me into the machine, and I say, no, Matt, I'm going to try and do it myself. And invariably, I'm perfectly fine getting in and out. So he learns that sometimes you got to let people make mistakes to succeed mm. and by that I'm motivated because there is a clear and measurable success. Okay. So it sounds like you um you have a relationship of trust where you can trust in his abilities and he is he trusts in you to know what you're capable of doing also. Um, and so that that relationship is really important, would you say? Yes, it is. You've hmm. got to have 100% trust in people that are trying to help you. And in saying that, um, I guess that applies across the board. Hmm. Yeah, so finding someone that you can really um, uh, have that strong uh, working relationship and sort of feel comfortable in that um, is very important. Correct. Matt trusts me emphatically and I trust him emphatically. Mm. That's amazing. And um, you did touch on mental health as well. So let's talk a little bit about mental health after a stroke. We know that um, depression and anxiety are very common um, for people after stroke. 
Um, are you able to share a little bit about your experience with that and um, and sort of how some of the things that you've done have helped you to overcome those challenges? Certainly, Bethany. Um, yes, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I'm one of the masses that have had a stroke that fell into uh, a depression or source. So I guess mental health plays a big role, um, but being able to communicate and deal, deal with certain issues like mobility and certain goals has helped me to overcome my mental health challenges, namely depression. And I would like to say I've completely and wholeheartedly made a change for the better to the effect that I'm no longer on antidepressants my day is filled to the brim with goals. So I'm very goal-centric and being able to communicate to people and be understood has helped me immensely with my mental health. Mm, yes, of course. And... Um, so you're sort of saying that um, having a purpose has been one of the things that's really, um, when you say you filled your days to the brim, um, having a purpose has really helped you to, uh, I guess, move forward from those challenges and to help you feel valued again, would you say? Absolutely. Because I lost so much after having the strike, um, I felt that my sense of purpose was totally diminished. Mm -hmm. But finding those goals again and aspirations has fulfilled a lot of the emptiness and void that has for my world, mm -hmm. so being able to take off daily, daily goals and activities um, has 100% turned my uh, abilities around. Mm. Okay. And, um, you know, I think that speech pathologists really do have a good understanding of, um, of having functional goals that really do help people to feel valued and that they are having a purpose and achieving things. But do you think that there's more that we could be doing as speech pathologists in this area? Bethany, to be honest with you, I don't think that there is very much more that can be done. And say so that, I've been very fortunate that 
from a hospital setting to rehabilitation and to yourself. Um, I would like to say that my speech pathologists have become more than just speech pathologists, boring and touching on psychology as well. So um, being able to communicate with yourself and Listening to me and to what I have to say has also helped me immensely because in that type of setting, you can critique a lot of my speech because that kind of setting allows you to criticize or able to understand what I'm trying to get across. So yes, I I would like to say that the speech pathologists have played a vital role and in saying that they've done a tremendous job Along the way, it has been hard and been a long journey, but we got there in the end. Mm, certainly got there, Mark. You're doing really amazing things. And I think it's um, probably indicates that there's a shared responsibility between the therapist and the client. So um, whilst we can try and help to provide the opportunities and and give information on the supports we know are out there. It does need to be um, yourself or the person that takes the next steps to really making that happen. Would you agree? I would agree entirely. Yeah. Um, I, again, it comes back to what a level of motivation is. And I've always had my mindset from the day I woke up from a coma, um, I didn't want to be a nobody. I wanted to improve. Um, and I, as you can see, I set myself goals, which are bite-sized goals. But by doing that, it's been a long, a long journey, but with measurable success, but to be honest with you, there's been, it has been difficult to motivate me because I feel that in terms of motivation, it has to come from within. So, it's always going to be very difficult to motivate a person. Mm. Yes, it's definitely a challenge. Um, I think that's probably all we were going to cover today, Mark. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? I just wanted Hmm. to say that I've been very fortunate with this speech pathologist 
uncertainty with yourself because I would like to think that things turned around for the better when I was able to communicate, which, as I said before, I've got a whole lot to say, and I'm able now to say it. So, to me, that is like gold. I don't take for one minute my ability to get those messages across. So, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity again to be able to communicate. Mm. Absolutely. And fantastic that you um, work so hard at it as well, Mark. So a lot of the credit is to you. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I think it's so important for us to learn from the lived experiences of the people we're supporting. Um, And uh, everyone can stay tuned in for another Speak Up podcast next Wednesday. Thanks. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.